All right, time for the children's message. So kids, come on up front to your TV screens or computer screens. Uh, Happy Easter, everyone. I wish that all you kids could be here with me right now, but hopefully that will be coming soon when we'll be able to be together uh, again. So question for you as we start, what is Easter all about? Is it just about chocolate and candy and colored eggs? No, that's not what Easter is mainly about. Easter is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, came to earth, and lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father. He chose to go to the cross, to be killed on the cross, to pay for our sins. And then he was raised to everlasting life. So the good news of the gospel tells us that those who believe in this truth, who believe it and live their lives accordingly, will be truly forgiven of all of their sin, and they will have everlasting life. So here's a question I want you to think about this morning. Who is the gospel for? Is the gospel even for you? Some of you might think, Uh, might be tempted to think that you're a pretty good person, and so the gospel probably isn't for you, right? You might think that Jesus came for those really bad sinners, and you think that um, only those really bad sinners are the ones who need the gospel. Have you ever thought like that? The Bible tells us, though, that all have sinned. All of us have sinned against God. And therefore, that means that even you need a Savior. The gospel is for you. Others of you might be tempted to think that the gospel is uh, not for you because of your sin, because you're such a, 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 uh, you have so much sin in your life. You might think that you have too much sin and that Jesus just couldn't forgive you. He wouldn't forgive you. Have you ever thought like that? The Bible tells us that all, everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. That means that Jesus Christ can save even you. And so the gospel is for you. So for all of you, no matter how many times you've sinned, no matter how bad your sin was, the gospel is for you. Jesus died and was raised to life, if you come to faith in him, you will be saved. So Easter is all about Jesus Christ and the gospel that is for you. And so that's why Easter is so special to us, and that's why we celebrate. Pastor Jeremy's going to come now and preach, so keep listening and learning and worshiping God. Right, we are uh, continuing in the Gospel of Luke for our Easter series. We'll be in Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke chapter 24, we're going to be looking at uh, the conversation, as it were, between the angels and the women who went to take care of Christ's corpse. So we're in Luke 24. Uh, springtime, great time, isn't it? Everything come back comes back to life, sap runs, buds in the trees come out, birds return. 
We were out on the river yesterday fishing and uh, hearing all the birds again was wonderful. Bears waking up, flowers blooming. You see um, our uh, flowers are starting to come up at our house, although now we're preparing for a big winter storm. Maybe we'll take a step back, but it's enjoyable this time. Many of you are putting seeds into the ground that go to die and to be raised. And of course, every spring we get to celebrate Easter. Uh, the first reference to Easter in church history comes from a sermon in the mid-hundreds, so the mid-second century. Uh, the sermon mentions Easter as if it's already a well-established and annual celebration in the church. And of course, it was the celebration of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Uh, and so when, when we say he is risen, it's uh, something that the church has been celebrating from the very beginning. Christ rose from the dead. The angels declared he is not here. He has risen. Let me read this text. I'm going to read all of chapter 24. We'll be focusing mainly on the, on the first 10 verses of Luke, but I want to read the entire account because we'll We'll mention all of it also. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things of the apostles. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these are there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and were before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, the bread, and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we were, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scripture? up to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to simon when they told what had happened on the road and how he had how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread as they were talking about these things jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace be to you but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit and he said to them, why are your hearts, why are you troubled and why do darts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you here anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Let's pray. Father, come now and deal bountifully with us, your servants, that we may live and keep your word. God, please open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things out of your holy scriptures. Your testimonies are our delight. They are our counselors. And so, God, teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 24, as maybe you heard as I was reading, takes place in four different places. Uh, it first takes place in the garden where the women go to honor the dead body of their Lord. The scene then just shifts as the women go to tell the rest of the disciples. And then we see uh, uh, the second scene as it goes to this seven-mile walk along a road to Emmaus where two disciples are walking. Uh, strangely that they aren't remaining in Jerusalem. They're going away from there, but Jesus appears with them and opens up their eyes to see all things about him concerning him in uh, Jerusalem. After they realize that it's Jesus, they hightail it back to Jerusalem to a room where we kind of find our third scene. There they explain as the other disciples talk about the amazing things that have been going on. They can't believe their eyes when Jesus appears right there among them. 
He has a resurrected body. He eats and explains to them that scripture was just being fulfilled, that he should suffer on the third day, rise again, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name should be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Disciples would be made to remain among all nations. And then finally in the fourth scene, they go as far as Bethany where Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and they worship him with great joy. And so the narrative ends and is carried through with this great joy. Great joy. That is the right response to Easter, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Great joy. How can we not have great joy on Easter Sunday? Even if you are in the depths of sorrow, there is joy in knowing that there is resurrection from the dead. Great joy. You and I no longer need to fear death because Christ has been raised from the dead and we have hope of everlasting eternal life in the very same heaven to which Christ ascended. Great joy. You and I have been given this message of eternal hope, of forgiveness, of sins in Christ's name that is for all nations. Listen to the scope of this gospel. All nations will hear this gospel, this good news, and God will bring some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to himself, forgiving all of their sins, building his church, establishing his kingdom here on earth, through the resurrection of his son. That's great joy. And we, many of us, have received this message by faith of the mercy and grace of God. You and I have been made alive together with Christ through the loving kindness of God. He has forgiven all of our sins, gifted us all of Christ's righteousness, welcomed us into his family as his own sons and daughters, filled us with his Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of eternal life to come. Great joy. That's the gospel. That, that's what we're here to enjoy. But what I want to do is go back to this first scene uh, where the women come to honor the dead body of their Lord and consider what the angels say. Why do you seek the living among the dead? We see at the end of chapter 23 when Joseph takes the dead body of Jesus, prepares it for burial, and bears it that the women in verse 55 had come with him from Galilee and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So they saw in detail, not only where, but how his body was laid. Three days later, after the Sabbath, after the Saturday, on the Sunday morning, they early, having prepared, having made preparations, taking the spices that they had prepared, go back to the very same tomb. And, and they are going to anoint his body, care for his body, even in its death. As an aside, uh, we are here seeing uh, actual Christian love. This is the kind of care that Christians have even for our loved ones in death. That kind of our, our final act of love for our loved ones in death is to care even for their bodies. It's helpful for our grief, and it is actually love. So Christ was buried on a Friday. Saturday passed. Sunday came, first day of the week. At early dawn, at first light, the women hurry on to the tomb. Of course, as you know, they didn't find his body. In fact, they were shocked that the massive stone was rolled away. 
upon entering the tomb, remembering how they had seen where the body was laid, how it was laid, uh, they were shocked that there was no body. The text notes that they were perplexed. Well, they were perplexed about this. In the midst of their confusion, they're at a loss. They're very much disturbed. Their minds are racing to find a solution. What can make sense of what we're seeing? Jaws dropped, no words, no ability to come up with a solution. One of the major themes of this chapter is our inability to make sense of what is going on. We can't make heads or tails of this. And what they can't make heads or tails of isn't just what their eyes are seeing. It's that they don't believe what the scriptures have said. You'll see throughout this text that they, that they have not remembered, they have not had the faith to believe the word of God. The women here are told to remember what was told to them. Uh, in verses 25 to 27, Jesus has to interpret for them th- in all things in Scripture concerning himself. Again, in verses 44 and 46, it is noted that Jesus spoke these words, that everything written about him in the law of Moses, prophets, and psalms would be fulfilled. And so God's people here are disbelieving God's word. They do not remember. They don't have the faith to recall the truth of God's word. The point is here that by nature, who we are just in our natures do not believe God's word. We will not take God out his word. The women shouldn't have come to the cemetery because they would have believed that Christ would have raised. They would have been raised. They would have believed that God would not let his holy one see decay. They should have believed Jesus' word. They shouldn't have gone to the tomb. Right? The two disciples shouldn't be walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They shouldn't be walking away from the place that they knew that their Savior would be raised. The disciples in the room should not be surprised at seeing Jesus in a resurrected body. Because the scriptures, everything in the Old Testament, Jesus himself had declared these things. But our hearts are darkened to God's word. Our internal seeing is broken. We have blackout curtains within our souls that keep us from seeing the light of God's glory. By birth, we are perpetually in a solar eclipse internally. But take care here. It's not just that you can't see. It's that we won't see. Our sin isn't just an inability. It's a moral refusal. In Romans 1.18, we see that we suppress God's truth in our unrighteousness. So if you're listening to this live stream today, and you think this Christian thing is just a hoax, or you're so embittered because your life isn't what you want it to be, and you refuse to believe God's word, or you've met Christians who are hypocrites. Yes, you have. You're listening to one. And you refuse to believe it. It's not that something has been done to you. It's actually you. You have a moral refusal. You have an unwillingness. You are actually actively suppressing the truth. We, out of our own disbelief, out of our own unbelief, refuse. And you'll notice at every point of every instance in this text where they are not believing God's word, God comes and opens their eyes. 
God comes and opens their mind. We see great grace in this text. At every point, at every point of our refusal, God comes in grace. At every point of our need, God supplies again and again. The women don't know what to think. They are paralyzed with dread, and God supplies angelic messengers to make sense of what their darkened hearts could not conceive. Along the road, the two disciples can't even recognize who it is walking alongside of them. They can't until God opens their eyes, opens their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, in the room, in the third scene, in verse 45, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. So God has done that for you if you believe in Christ. Please recognize the joy of this. God in heaven has, with his arm, reached down out of heaven, plucked out your hard, blinded heart, and implanted a heart of seeing. He's done that. The divine optometrist has taken out your blind eyes and transplanted in eyes that can see. He has done this personally for you. You can see yourself in this text. Jesus himself has come and appeared and opened your eyes that you might see him in the scriptures. And I pray that he's doing that for some of you even now. That even now God is opening your eyes to see the glory of Christ in the resurrection from the dead. God graciously awakens our souls from their slumber in sin to see Jesus who lived and dies and rose again. Consider what the angels say to these poor women. Uh, There's some humor here, I think. Why do you seek the the dead among the living? (laughs) Why do you seek the dead among the, or uh, the living among the dead? Excuse me. Other way around. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Of course, they didn't come to seek the living among the dead. They came to seek the dead among the dead. But they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have. And then they clarified. He is not here. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. Remember what he spoke to you. They come to find a dead man, and they don't because he's alive. And they explain it to them. Just This is God's grace. This is God's kindness. He uses actual words to interpret his words. He comes and speaks to our minds and our hearts to open up our understanding so that we might receive him. This is grace. This is life-changing, eternity-altering grace. And so for those of you who are alive to Christ, who see him in his resurrection, please enjoy this of your God now. How personally he comes to you and opens your minds to see grace or to see Christ. It's grace, brothers and sisters. The only reason you and I see is because of Christ's kindness. You would not see otherwise. And who do we see? Who do we see? Consider again the words of these angels. It's a question. What they say literally is, why seek the living among the dead? Why seek the living among the dead? Who is Jesus? He's the source of all 
life. The New American Standard translates, why seek the living one among the dead? The one who has life. It's a title here for Jesus. Why seek the life? Why seek life among death? They're titling Jesus. They're naming Jesus. This is the central reality of who God is. God doesn't just exist. God is existence. When they came to seek Jesus, they were seeking existence. They were seeking the one who has existence, the one who isn't just living, but the one who is the source of all life of living. We read in Scripture that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has no beginning or has no end. He is beginning. He is ending. He was and is and will be. He depends on no one for life, but has life within himself. This is what we're missing. This is what they were missing. This is what the disciples are missing. Of course, they had confessed that he is Lord. Of course, they listened to all of his predictions of his death and resurrection. But they didn't yet conceive that the one that they were standing with, the one that they had walked with, the one that they had eaten with, was, is life itself. He doesn't just live. He is life. He isn't just a higher form of existence. He is existence. Why would we not expect Jesus Christ, the one from whom and for whom and all through and through whom all things exist to live. Right? It isn't the greatest miracle that life rose. How can we not expect the one who is the source of all existence to come back to life? What is shocking is that the one who is life would die. That's the shock. This is what theologians ponder over. This is why so many find it impossible. This is why they found it impossible that Jesus was the Christ when he died. Their minds couldn't get itself around that Messiah would die. Even though it was predicted throughout all of scriptures. From the very beginning. That the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. But his, his heel would be bruised. That he would be bruised in death. They couldn't get their minds around God would die. That the Lord of life, the one in whom all things exist, would die. How could the one who gives light to billions of burning white heart stars in the galaxies die? How could the one who gives blood and life to all living things shed his own blood on a cross? How could the one who gives breath to all breathing things breathe his last? That's the shocker here. Everything in their lives was turned upside down when the Lord of life lost life and was put cold and lifeless into a grave. That's the shocker here. Well, we don't have answers to how, but we do have an answer to why. Why would the Lord of life give his life? Why would the giver of all breath breathe his last? Well, it's love. That's it, isn't it? It's that he loves us. It's that he loves you. He took on flesh, who is the creator of all flesh, 
so that in his flesh he could take your sin that you've committed in your flesh and die and pay the price. It's so that because we who have cursed God and others with the breath from our mouth could breathe his last and so forgive us for all of our sins of our mouths. He did it in love. He who is life itself gave himself over to death so that we could live unto God and know a father. Because he is life and because in him is life, death could not hold him. Please get this. The grave had no power over him. The source of all life entered in the place of no life and came back to life. (laughs) It's staggering. Death had never met somebody that it couldn't hold, ever. Millions and millions had gone into the grave before this. And the Lord of life stepped into it, and it couldn't hold him. Because life itself had entered into death. We simply cannot comprehend the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot conceive of the greatness of his power. He conquered that which no one has ever, ever, ever been able to conquer. Man has been given the ability to do incredible things, to create incredible things. We have created rockets that can power itself into outer space. We have been able to peel back some of the mysteries of the human body and cure, thought incurable diseases. But no one has ever yet provided a solution to death. No one has ever yet been able to avoid this problem of coming out of a grave until Jesus went into it. The Lord of life gave himself to death in order to defeat death so that we could have life. He lives and so we live. When he went in to the grave, the grave shook with fear. The grave trembled. The grave split open because it cannot hold the Lord of life. That's who we're meeting. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do you seek life itself among death? Well, let me ask you something there. Are you alive to Christ? Do you have this life within you? And then, Does your worship of him, does your prayer to him display this kind of life? Or is your worship just perfunctory performance? Are you just going through the motions? As, As you consider him and your weekly, daily life, are you living for him? Are you giving your life for him? Does your heart have life for him. Christ is life. He has given us life. Are you living your life for him? Do you have within yourself a heart for your crucified, risen Savior? Now, those of you who do not have life in him yet, it is not too late. Pastor Jeff said it well. You're definitely not good enough and you're definitely not bad enough. He saves all who will come to him. He gives life to all who call on him. When you profess faith in him, you are connecting to the one who has in himself life itself. 
Of course he can give you life. Of course he can raise you from the dead. Of course he can forgive your sins. The lack is not in him. It's in your willingness. It's in your own pride. It's in your unwillingness to let go of those things which are actually death. You want to continue to go on in your life loving the things that will actually lead you to death. You, you don't want to let go of them yet. You love them more than you love him. You love them more than you love eternal life. Right? We will gain the whole world and lose our souls. We will hold on to our own sin, our own foolishness, our own living our own way, and go right into hell because we're that foolish. But I would urge you, let go of those things. They are not life. You know they're not. They haven't worked for you. That's why you continue to strive after them. Lay them down. Turn to faith in Jesus. Please, why not? He's life. Go back to the one who is life by faith. Confess him. And for those of you who do have life in him, live for him. Live for him. Worship him as if he's life. Quit being so stone-faced, so cold-hearted towards him. Pray to him. Lead your families and worship to him. Live life before the one who is life. Live in his presence. Enjoy him. Go outside. The storm is coming. Don't complain and grumble. The Lord of life is sending inches and inches of snow. Love him for it. Worship him for it. I'm asking a lot, I know. Let's enjoy him. Let's live in his presence who has given us life. Quit living so small. Quit living so bound up in your own little universe. Look to him who created the universe and has welcomed you into life itself. Forget about all of your petty troubles, your financial woes, your what should I do nextness. Just you have him who is life. Get over it. Move beyond it. Enjoy him. Quit whining. Quit complaining. Enjoy the king of life. Let the words of these angels echo in your hearts. He is not here. He has risen. Seek the living one. (laughs) Seek the one who has all life. I could go on and on for this, but let's enjoy our God who has given us life in the life of his son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we glory in this life that you have given us in your son who is life itself. It is so hard for us to conceive of this. This is a mystery of mysteries. We have no illustration. We have nothing in this earth that can supply us an apt illustration of source of life, of the one who, in whom all things live, and yet that's who we come to in this resurrection salvation. And so God, blow our minds with this. Open our hearts wide to it. May we sing for joy in the one who is life itself. May we behold him. May we enjoy him. And so, God, would you help us in the coming days, in the coming weeks, to just have a, 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 a little bigger slice of delight in the one who is life. That we may get our eyes off of so much that is death here, so much that is futile here, and look to him who is life. Help us even now in this song. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our benediction comes from Psalm 16. May the Lord be always before you. And because he is at Because he is at hand, may you never be shaken. May our hearts be glad and our whole beings rejoice because we dwell securely in him. May we have the grace to know that because he did not, the father did not abandon his own son to Sheol, that 
he will, that he did not let his own son see corruption, so he will do the same with his children. May God make known to you the path of life. May you know fullness of joy in his presence, and may you know pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.